Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are, listeners. On Talk Architecture Podcast, I'm your host, Naziati Muhammad Yaakob. And I'd like to give my postscript or um, thoughts after interviewing our Associate Professor Architecture Kotming of the National University of Singapore. This podcast interview was recorded in March this year after I recorded the one with architect Lillian Tay. However, it was delayed in publishing it because of um, my involvement in the Clubhouse uh, Room School of Architecture where we discuss um, every week on uh, two topics, broad-based education versus specialized education and the culture of critique. So this interview with uh, Kok Ming has something to do with those other clubhouse events and trying to keep on asking the questions and trying to find how they are connected. It is not trying to find answers because we know, we all know that it's just an expansion of knowledge. We would understand the subject better if we discuss more and more openly. There is sometimes a cause for debate in particularly the last uh, clubhouse event. on the culture of critique. And that is to be continued later, uh, possibly to be published, to be first uh, discussed and then recorded and published in May or June, because there is no guarantee when I'm gonna get the right uh, synergy or the right formula for the discussion or debate with regard to the culture of critique. If I cannot, I'm as an academic, yeah, when I was academic formally at the University of Malaya, if I cannot critique the architecture course curriculum, in particular the design studios, curriculum within, internally, uh, in the School of Architecture that I serve in, um, I should be allowed to critique outside of the school. Because it seems that um, me critiquing the curriculum in an internal meeting would disrupt the meetings agenda and um, or that there is a tendency one would just follow others because one is so tired to discuss fundamental issues. I have found it very disappointing that um, often the facilitator of those workshops of architecture curriculum 
in particular the design studios curriculum, would ask me if I have an opinion, but then after that, they would ignore it. I mean, it's, it's just an opinion, and then they would just listen, and then they say no, and then they'll go with their own agenda. So that's why lecturers like myself, they may be in the minority, or maybe I, I feel that I, that very small minority of us would want to be helping the school to get a better curriculum. I mean, when you talk about National University of Singapore, curriculum um, that is competing globally as evidence of number seven position in QS World Ranking in 2023. I mean, they're in the position with MITs, the UCLs, you know, the Cambridge and, and a lot of TU Delft and Zurich and all these top schools. Yes, I mean, we, didn't, we don't even have to go there yet. But we are not even making, shall I say, um, opening up the space for discussion internally. So if I have this problem of... Um, discussing it internally, and I could imagine if there's somebody like me in schools of architecture, I mean, I'm just giving it an assumption that in schools of architecture, um, I mean, even even uh, if you listen to Chakot Ming, he has been around um, giving crits, well, in particular to University of Malaya, uh, and also been external examiners, uh, examiner to Taylor's University and maybe others, uh, and he understand the discussion where uh, that is currently happening in university universities in Malaysia, where the default mechanism is to to refer to the Malaysian Board of Architects Manual of Accreditation um, guideline. So the debate would just fall like that, you know. Okay. Uh, you can't talk about this because we need to do this because it's in the guideline. Of course it's in the guideline, but when are we going to discuss um, bigger issues? You know, things like asking the question, of what is this curriculum for? Is this curriculum um, doing justice to the student's career development later when they graduate? Because that's what... NUS is doing with their curriculum. So in the light of the critique, the culture of critique, that me or anyone, uh, me, the previous me in the other life, you know, um, as an academic, couldn't put in our words in edgeways or it's not even considered, uh, you know, there's no safe space actually for talking about it. And um, well, anyway, I, I reserve that comment. But the point I'm trying to make it, there need to be another avenue to discuss it. So, in a way, that's what this podcast is doing, and also the conversations we had in the clubhouse, and. There were several conversations that we had over the years, in particular when we are all 
in a lockdown situation due to COVID-19 and, and we, we tend to um, go to the audio platforms such as Clubhouse and Zoom, online meetings and forums and webinars. Now we're back to being at site or in venues which are face-to-face. Well and good. Actually, any Malaysian university um, could facilitate this discussion and debate on the culture of critique, could facilitate with the Malaysian uh, Board of Architects, notably the Council of Architecture Education Malaysia, responsible for the um, uh, the manual of accreditation to open up the discussion to um, lecturers or people who are designing the curriculum rather than just listening to head of department because head of departments, are, their function is just to run the course. So if you have too many questions, they need to do a lot of workshops, a lot of research, and they have to go and deal with the argumentative staff or debate <laughs> in the schools and, you know. So they're just processing the curriculum. But these other many, many, many staff who has lots of interesting ideas and insights facilitated well by maybe a very good facilitator that asks about the bigger picture, that understands um, that you need to have a curriculum that is more, uh, shall we say, well, not curriculum, but the debate with um, the Board of Architects. That the Board of Architects accept that why are Malaysian schools not competing with NUS? So the reason for this interview is to actually dig deep. I didn't know. I didn't know that uh, Chia Kok Meng would say those things that he said. I knew that he was um, appreciative of the studio that I run with Kevin Matlow. And um, so I could see that. Um, that, you know, that he would be able to have a conversation with me because there's some something that we share in common in terms of the learning of this in the design studios, but I didn't know that he could, he would give a, a very um, important uh, sort of uh, disclosure on what is happening at the NUS and what is the formula. If you Listen to the entire interview with that I had with him, <coughs> and you understand the context of it all, especially if you're a Malaysian educator, um, a lecturer in School of Architecture in Malaysia. You would realize the underlying concepts in architecture education, the difference between what you practice and what National University of Singapore does. 
Now, of course, there will be a lot of questions like, oh, um, they pay more or um, I don't know what else, but I'm sure you'll ask a lot of these other questions. Um, and um, they have all the support and so on. And uh, you could debate that you say, um, oh, no, the um, the other departments are the one that is making NUS high up on the list, not necessarily architecture. So whatever. But one thing is that purposely, National University of Singapore knew that they could get Malaysian graduates to come and work and deal with the technical competence the technical staff or the parts to do with tech, uh, more of technology in the architecture companies in Singapore. Is that a reflection of how Singapore sees themselves with the rest of the world? That they have to start looking at the curriculum of other universities that is in the high up in the ranking list as well. I have visited NUS. It was a very interesting visit. And I found that the way they spoke of their curriculum being quite similar to what we do in Yosemite when I visited them in uh, 2015. I think so, at that time. I have visited TU Delft, which is top 10. And um, I have known about the other schools of architecture. And we know that they are not perfect. But the individuals in that school were given a sense of freedom to do what's necessary to get the school up to scratch. And therein lies the importance of the head of department. One of my um, ex-colleague, who is no more in the faculty of built environment, she's somewhere else, told me about how important the head of department is to the to the department in the in the faculty. So, hence um, my statement just now that the head of the department can put a stranglehold or could open up much more better understanding of how we can manage ourselves and not be dictated by by um, stifling uh, you know one-sided view of what how we should do things. So, yes, that individual in all the schools of architecture in Malaysia has a lot on their shoulders. And they should give a little reprieve, a little leeway by the Malaysian Board of Architects, Council of Architecture Education Malaysia, to make the manual accreditation much more clear and intent on its purpose. And one of the clear intent and purpose is to make Malaysian graduates able to compete globally 
and Malaysian schools of architecture able to be in the top 10 or top 20, try for top 30. I mean, sometimes we get to top 30. Maybe UTM can get to top 30. But the point I'm trying to make is we all have to be together in it, give each other a chance. So CAEM, which is the Malaysian Board of Architects Council, that did the manual accreditation, has a responsibility to the nation because the Prime Minister don't know how to do this, okay? The others in the Board of Architects don't know how to do this. Putubahan Architecture Malaysia don't know how to do this. They don't even know how to begin the debate. They can't even see the problem. I mean, they're nice people, but you know, friendly people and I respect them doing a lot of other stuff, but they can't, they can't create that space for this argument and this debate. That's why we have this podcast. That's why we have this clubhouse event. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because my life was dedicated to um, teaching and um, helping out students of architecture. I mean, um, I want to put a conclusion to all of this. That's why I'm still doing this, even after retirement. So bear in mind that this is an important point, important work that we're doing to get younger lecturers, young architects, um, at least, to understand what's happening to the schools of architecture and the role of the Board of Architects and how Malaysian graduates will always be more of a spe- in a specialized education in Malaysia, tend towards vocational training and technical competencies and pragmatism rather than having the option to compete globally or to have a life skill that could provide for a better alternative career path um, or to be much more strategic in thinking or to be that the learn uh, to able to fork I mean there is some things that um Ming mentioned speculative speculation of the future and able to 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 collaborate and be in a team to to stand up to debate with agencies <coughs> able to manage oneself in terms of knowing what to do and not just getting instruction from your tutor in your unit and complying to whatever he or she is saying so you know you, the independent of thought and thinking of that graduate in NUS, we maybe not all of them are like that, but they're able to fall back to that life skill that Chia Kok Ming is saying. Why can't Malaysian architecture graduates have the chance or have the opportunity to get to that level of, co- of competency? We know that from as a that some of our uh, friends or our ex-students do get to the international level and 
um, but only in like uh, in a small minority, like five uh, percent of a batch or one percent, and so on. So you know, it's not by chance or luck that um, you get those graduates. This are prepare. Uh, there's a lot of preparation, planning, and and application, and how the curriculum should be done in order for you to to get to that level. And there is, you know, one of the things is the supervisor attributes that run the design program. If we keep on hopping to the past when we were in certain schools of architecture, when we were the tried and tested way we have done before in when we were students, we're not going to get anywhere. I have gone away from how I was taught. I knew that in UTM I was technically competent, but when I went to the UK, I became more theoretical, theoretically competent. But but there was a lot of work to be done after graduating for me to understand a lot of how to create, how to find projects for the student, how to, there were a very steep learning curve. And I wish that I could learn it quicker, but of course that's in the past. And I can't hold on to the past for examples and formulas. And doing the same thing over and over again, knowing that it didn't work. So hence, I appeal to educators in Malaysia uh, in particular, to actually um, understand, fully understand what's going on and look around you and see your ex-students. Some are suffering. Some really are not equipped to even deal with the um, transition from school to working. And why not? They don't see much options and much ideas on how to go forward. So, yeah, there's always the option for them to work in Singapore and China if they are really um, ambitious or they they um, uh, feel that they are competent enough. There are many who are just not really confident of that. And why not? So that's just that level. No need to talk about Europe or America or something like that. We have our ex-students working in, a, in, in uh, United States and Europe and stuff. Um, but the percentages are low. So anyway, thank you for listening in. Hope you have a good day.